Intro, 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 and welcome to Flywheel Pod. I'm your host, DeFi Dave. Here with Capital K, we bring you everything Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on chain, you've come to the right place. Like I said, this is Flywheel, and we get it spinning. Uh, Kit, thank you for joining us for this special episode with Kane Warwick, the founder, uh, I'm just kidding, the founder of Synthetics. Uh, we go in deep about everything from the history of Synthetics, well, what it's like in the field of battle and uh, what's cooking with Synthetics V3 and maybe something that he may be announcing this week. Uh, maybe announced it already. Who knows? We'll find out. Uh, Kit, uh, what do you think of this episode? Real talk from a real founder and it was real good. Yeah. Kane's crazy. He's out of his mind. Yeah, <laughs> like, like you, you're going to have to be a founder, but like I respect it because like we're all a little... You know, we're all a little crazy, yeah. especially for, we're if we're for still it. here. Like, I was thinking when he was like saying, like, yeah, he has to be crazy. I was like, wow, we've really started a podcast at the beginning of the bear market. We started the worst, like, the like, worst. like yeah. the, the worst time, but also the best time. And so, you know, if you want to hear some more stories, if you want to hear, you know, some tea, uh, this is the episode for you. So let's get right into it. And if you want to keep up with everything Flywheel, make sure you hit that bell button, subscribe, leave us a comment, let us know what you think, give us a like, make sure you follow us on Twitter at FlywheelDefi, join the conversation on Telegram at FlywheelDefi, you can follow me on Twitter at DefiDave22, follow me at 0x capital underscore K, and you already know what it is, let's get the Flywheel spinning. Do you hold ETH but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start? Well, Frax ETH is there for you. Frax ETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into Frax ETH today. GM everyone, welcome to yet another special edition of Flywheel. I'm your host, DeFi Dave, here with Capital K. And today we have on the chief of the Warwick Crime Syndicate. Actually, no, I'm just kidding. Um, we, <laughs> we have the founder of Synthetics, DeFi OG himself, Kane Warwick on. Kane has been through the trenches and then some. It's another bear market to him. It ain't no thing. So, Kane, thanks for coming on. The capo. Yes, <laughs> the capo. The capo right. Yeah, the capo. Or just like the uh, the boss. There's there's quite a few of you out now out in out in uh, Web three now. You have your brothers doing Alluvium. Is there like anybody else missing? A media family, some distant cousins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, let's get right into it because um, you know, you're no strangers to FUD. And uh, I saw a tweet recently uh, from, I think it was a safety third about some guy named Chomsky who early on was flooding uh, debt spirals about synthetics. And I actually heard from a friend that you actually lent <laughs> Chomsky as next to short and he never paid you back. So I thought that was a funny story. Um, so from like... Oh my God. <laughs> so from like that to like, you know, people like fudding like real estate, this and that, like you and synthetics are no strangers to FUD. So like, how have you dealt with it over the years? And like, how has it battle hardened you? Mm. 
Um, really? We should, we're now Green and I are friends. You know, we, talk, we talk every once in a while. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, it was uh, it was pretty um, it was pretty harsh. And I think there were a number of um, aspects to that, right? Like why why people uh, didn't like Haber. Um, we, you know, weren't from like the deep Ethereum community at all, right? Like I'd been mm-hmm. running a payment gateway. We've been supporting, you know, crypto exchanges in Australia at that point for like three or four years, I guess. Um, but I just came from like traditional startup land. And I thought Ethereum was really cool. And I saw that the tech was really powerful. Um, and, you know, I, I, for me, decentralization is more about like platform risk, right? Like I'm, I'm a deep platform risk person in the sense that like, you know, if you're building on something that can rug you, it's just really dangerous. And having been in traditional startups for such a long time, going back to like 2000, I've just seen it happen so many times with people are like, I've got mm-hmm. the greatest startup. It's working so well. And then like the API is cut off. Right. And so for me, it was about like, okay, don't let anyone control your shit, basically, right? Like that was the ethos for me that I was like, all right, this is the thing, right? And I think in the in the Ethereum community, there was probably more of like a purist approach of like, yes, like, you know, we want everything to be immutable and, and what have you. But coming from startup land, I was like, well, yeah, you want it to be immutable. And like, obviously we want to get there. Right. Like we want to get to a point where you can't be rubbed or whatever. Right. But the path to getting there is going to take a while. Right. We're not going to get there on day one. And so to be immutable on day one when no one cares. Right. Um, it feels strange to me. Like, let's make it, you know, something that can be upgraded and iterated on until we get to a point where it works. And then let's figure out how we make it beautiful. Right. Um, and people fucking hate it. They were just like, you are a piece of shit. And we're you like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. And I was like, <laughs> and I really was, I wasn't kind of expecting that. Uh, but, you know, I'm here for, uh, you guys know, you follow me on Twitter, right? I'm here for it. So, um, you know, I was just, I drove around and I was like, well, this is what we're doing. This is why. Here's my reason. You know, I wrote a bunch of blog posts about why progressive decentralization made sense, why progressive, you know, uh, governance improvements made sense, why you know, proxy, like getting into the weeds of like the architectural choices, like why that all made sense. And I just went down and said like, this is what I believe, right? Like you don't have to use synthetics, you don't have to use Haven, but this is what I believe. And that kind of was the, I guess, the core of the synthetics uh, community kind of ethos that grew out of that, like pragmatism, getting things done. Like let's, you know, let's approach things um, in a way that is pragmatic and, and practical. Yeah, it's amazing just saying things that you believe can cause so much controversy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you believe crazy shit, right? When you believe, I think we will believe stuff that's against the orthodoxy, right? Like the Mm -hmm. orthodoxy at the time was like, okay, we're old, we're amazing, we're going to go in a room for three fucking years and build this like sky palace, right? And then Mm -hmm. no one can see it. And then one day we're going to open the door, I'm going to all invite you in and you're going to love it. It's going to be the most amazing thing you've ever seen. And literally every time they did that, people were like, this is a piece of shit, doesn't work, right? And they were like, ooh, okay, um, let's try something. And it was like, no, like you you can't lock yourself in a room and do things in your own head and expect that you're going to like get it right because there's a market out there, there are market forces, there's information that you need to be taking in. And if you don't, 
you know, constantly interface with the real world, you don't get that feedback, right? And like maybe, maybe you end up doing that and it's amazing, right? Like Uniswap's one of the few examples I can think of, of like something that was kind of, you know, this idea and it was taken and implemented, but even Uniswap, we're talking about V4 now, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was just that the thought was, we'll put the burden on people, we'll make it fully immutable. And I think for Uniswap, this made sense, right? We'll make it fully immutable. When we have improvements, if we have improvements, we'll make people migrate from one to the other and it'll be yeah. you know, opt-in process. And I think that cost a lot, right? Like, you know, it probably slowed Uniswap's rollout down, but it was so much better than everything else that it almost didn't matter. And so yeah. I think if you have something that's so good, it makes sense. Um, but for the majority of projects, you need to iterate, you need to interface with the real world. Yeah, I think with Uniswap, it made sense because, you know, with UniV2 especially, it's just one formula. And they could just like try it out. If it doesn't work, they can go iterate. But uh, I want to hone in with that point with Augur because that's super interesting because there was so much promise with Augur that, you know, the first ICO, you know, prediction markets, it was mentioned in the Ethereum white paper. Vitalik was, you know, a big, you know, part in like really promoting it and stuff, you know, and this and that. And Sky Palace, you're exactly right. And, uh, you know, every time they, they built in like private and every time they came out in public, um, everyone was like, this sucks because, you know, it's hard to do things off the bat, just completely decentralized. And like, you know, I, I get it, but like most of the time it just doesn't work and it's so much harder and you have to be like, in depth, you have a little bit of courage and like have a, definitely some bit of armor on you to like take uh, the hits in public and building in public. Like, yeah, you're, you're gonna get, get hit, you're gonna get criticized, but it's just like a matter of like how you deal with it. And like you guys off the bat, like, you know, like when you guys were doing Haven, like, hell, it was like almost over. It was like, you really like were staring at, you know, the face of it. And then, you know, you guys, can you guys talk about, can you actually talk about how like you went from Haven to synthetics and like how you like turned it around from like the depths of being it's over to like into DeFi summer and then riding that wave? Yeah, I think the the thing for me, the nail in the coffin for Haven, and there were a lot of issues with Haven, right? Um, but the nail in the coffin for me was USDC. Like that was kind of it. I was like, all right, like we're not going to be able to compete with this in the short term. If we want to be a, a payment network and we want people to pay, you've got this free token that's backed by fiat that's you know, semi-regulated. It's just that's game over. Um, and in my mind, I didn't think it was likely that the U.S. government would allow a semi-regulated stablecoin to exist in the way that USDC has ex- now. I mean, there's some people from the government I think would love to shut down USDC and a lot of other things, but um, you know. Regulators at the time were kind of like, ah, this seems fine, which was pretty shocking to me. I re- that was not like on my crypto bingo card was a regulated stablecoin. And so, you know, then true USD, et cetera. And I just got to the point where I was like, all right, we can't compete with this. What can we compete with? What can we do that's different that they won't be able to do? And I looked at, you know, the advantage of USCC is it's a bunch of dollars in a bank account somewhere, right? And it's, you know, redeemable, right? There's a direct redemption mechanism. And so, we had contemplated having multiple currencies and it seemed unlikely that anyone in the short term was going to have a bunch of stable coins backed by a bunch of different currency like that, you know, and gold and things like that. So we really leaned into that and like added gold and silver and then Bitcoin because it really didn't make sense for someone to try and, you know, don't like WBTC BTC eventually came out, right? Wrapped Bitcoin came out. Uh, but at the time it was not, um, you know, so... We saw that as our competitive advantage over something like USCC, um, I think. Um, and, you know, it feels like that kind of worked out. Yeah. 
And then so that so that was Synthetics V2 that came out. Was like did it just come was Haven like Synthetics V1 and then Synthetics V2 was that? Well, so so Synthetics V1 was like Synthetics V1, right? Like that was yeah. the thing that came out um, you know, late 2018, like December 2018. Okay. Uh, and then we we iterated on that a bunch of times, made a bunch of changes. And eventually we got to a point where we were like, this is a new version, right? Like it's synthetics V2 basically, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then it, it kind of evolved into like V2X, uh, which was sort of taking a leaf out of the Ethereum playbook, right? Um, and and sort of splitting it off and saying, okay, like, you know, we're going to have one thing, which is the in-production system that we'll keep iterating on. And then we're going to have V3, which is a totally separate thing. And initially there were like two engineers working on V3. Now mm-hmm. um, the entire the core contributors are working on V3. I think there's one sad guy who's like, you know, holding the duct tape. He's holding the wires together to make yeah. sure V3 doesn't fall apart. So. Yeah. Um, I have a question actually. At one point, did you and this and synthetics become like kind of like just like not really accepted by the Ethereum community, like people coming at you to like, you know, being a part of this like, DeFi circle that everyone you know knows about for like the DeFi OG circle. Yeah, look, you know, I remember even going to, uh, I guess uh, it was DevCon four. Um, there was a DeFi summit, right? Um, that happened. Uh, and we all knew each other, uh, but there was definitely <laughs> some animosity, and it's like such a classic example <laughs> of like you know, like fighting over scraps in, <laughs> in the in the back like we were like everyone had this like scarcity mindset right of like mm. oh fuck you know i need that dollar right there's only two dollars on the ground and like everyone's just like fighting for it and and so um at that time it felt a lot more adversarial it was like you know very zero sum um and you know there was still tension between maker and and synthetics and you know a bunch of stuff was was going on i think um but out of that i think everyone kind of was all in the same room and it felt like okay maybe this is like thing but it really wasn't until um synthetic started to do well i guess right which was on the back of uh inflation and a bunch of you know mechanism design changes that we made uh once synthetic started to do well you know this industry is so driven by like number go up that people oh, yeah. it was hard you know there was still people fighting it right they're like this is terrible this shouldn't be happening you know whatever but like i think a lot of people were like wait maybe there's something here right the market is sending me a signal i should probably pay attention and i think that that helped us break in um i think optimism really helped as well there's no question you know uh us putting our hand up and saying we will be the guinea pigs for optimism um that oh. i think more you know, because that that cost a lot, right? Like there was a lot of investment on both sides, from optimism side, from our side. But we had we had we'd had experience with Chainlink in this regard, where you know, someone uh, a project that's building infrastructure for smart contract uh, systems, but isn't necessarily the a, a DeFi smart contract project itself, right? It's building infrastructure. It's a different mindset you have to have. And so I think Optimism had a very different mindset um, to what they kind of came out of after dealing with us and us being annoying and agitating for all these things and saying, well, we need it um, and vice versa, right? Like we understood why Optimism made the 
decisions that they did and what the trade-offs were. And so there was a very symbiotic relationship, but that investment on both sides, I think really helped to cement, mm-hmm. you know, at least for, for us, um, you know, that we were a credible project and that we were contributing to the ecosystem. Uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. Because uh, a lot of you know, Ethereum, a lot of the Ethereum guard like really put themselves behind optimism. Um, how do you think that has played out actually, like over the years? Because I I know that you know optimism's in their development has like a little bit long, like a, a bit. They were like OVM, then they switched to EVM, then you know Arbitrum came out first, and now you have all these different rollups. So like, how how do you think your relationship with optimism has evolved, and like where do you see it going? I I I feel like. We, and I say this collectively, like we, the Ethereum community, um, were unprepared for the last Bora. And a okay. lot of bad things happened because of that, right? And that's just, it is what it is, right? It just took us longer to scale than we had hoped. Um, you know, there were a whole bunch of promising avenues that Ethereum had to scale. Um, most of them didn't work out. And now we have you know, optimistic rollups and, and eventually we'll have some zero knowledge rollup or zero knowledge scale it solution that I think will be even better eventually. How long that takes, who knows? But um, I do think that uh, we were just, a li- we're probably like two years behind. Where okay. You, yeah. You know, Let's get into that more. Like, can you go into more okay. detail? Like how you think like the Ethereum community was ill prepared for the bow run and you know, what came out of that and what do you think the consequences of that are? So I distinctly remember um, the the COVID crash, right? The COVID crash for me was the first time I think, and again, you know, a lot of this stuff I, I struggled to like, keep um, to to keep <laughs> the order of things in my head. Um, mm-hmm. I need I need like some kind of you know thing in my wall. <laughs> here's how here's how everything. Um, you know, so that was March 2020. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in March 2020, there were, let's call it 50 protocols. Right. Um, so all through 2019, a bunch of stuff, you know, there were 50 protocols with like decent TVL that were all connected to one another. And we crossed this threshold of network connectivity of like, you know, the kind of uh, that logarithmic growth of like nodes and transactions connecting to one another where the network just fell apart. It was the first time where like way spiked like into the triple digits. It was like 300, 400, 500, even during ICO madness. It never, I, I don't think, you know, there was anything even close to that. And when you factor in the price of E as well, um, you know, it was, it was um, even crazier. Um, and so I think that to me was like, okay, wow, this is the problem, right? Like we built something that is working is actually using up network resources and their insufficient resources for this to be able to launch it. Um, and I think we all kind of had this sense of like, but that's okay. Like we've hit the edge of it. Cool. Right. Like we'd never even, mm-hmm. hit, you know, nothing getting deployed in 2018, like post ICO, um, you know, hangover, like there were like three things that were offering our main, right. It wasn't, you know, there was some NFTs and it wasn't much, right. There was like maker, Anyway, so <clears throat> we never even come close to touching the sides of what Ethereum could handle, and now we were. Excuse me. Um, and so I think we were, were like, okay, now we've got a real practical problem. We need to fix this, and it's important. But it took us longer to fix the problem, and 
the world caught up with it much faster than, than we expected, mm -hmm. right? So by 2021, the Alt L1 thesis was so obvious, right? Because, you know, I mean, B, to me, BSC was like the canary in the coal mine, right? Binance Smart Chain was around, like, all through, I can't remember exactly when it launched, but like it's I September remember. Yeah, September 2021, I remember CC tweeted like C DeFi and everyone laughs at him. Yeah. And and so like BSC had been around for at that point years, but it was a ghost chain. No one used it, right? I remember they would like spam transactions to make it look like something was actually happening on there, but it was pretty obviously a bit, right? And so um, all of a sudden people started using it. And that really was like the canary in the coma of like, what the fuck is happening here? How are people using BSC? Because projects are being cloned. It was easy to on-ramp and off-ramp from Binance. You know, transactions were effectively free. And, you know, then out of that, you had things that were more credible, right? Like BSC was obviously ridiculous, right? But like, you know, Solana and Near and Avalanche and like all of these things where they just like, had some smoke and mirrors as to like how the transactions were cheaper, but people were ready for cheap transactions. That was that was what you know they wanted. Had we had, you know, and look, probably we we all should have jumped behind Polygon a little bit faster. I think right. Had we had we have really pushed Polygon, but I think we were too smart for our own good in some senses because we're like, well, this is really a side chain. It's not really secure, guys. Like, versus like, gonna use BSC. Like, what the fuck are we thinking, <laughs> right? Like, you know, the alternative is so much worse, right? Someone's like, I'll right. only use a chain if the transaction is less than five cents. And we're like, well, you can't use Polygon. Sorry, guys, like, this is just not acceptable. And they're like, okay, cool, I'm gonna use mine at Smart Chain. And you're like, wait, what? Sorry, no, 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 that's wait, like, don't do that. And they're like, already gone. They're like, in the distance, right? And you're like, whoop, all right, well, you kind of fucked that one. And so <clears throat> I think that 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 whole situation had we had really like back polygon and like had you know all of the stuff that we you know have now like arbitrum and optimism and you know even starkware i think we would have not seen that all. like there's always some tendency of bull run for people to find dumb shit to like really pump right and so i think that something like solana or whatever you know especially when you've got sbs who's very opportunistically pumping that right mm -hmm. um you know I, I think something like that probably would have happened but it wouldn't have gotten as out of hand i think as it did if we had been able to keep people in the ethereum ecosystem it just would have been safer but i think this time we're ready last time we weren't this time i think we will be so yeah it sounds like the ethereum community just got too comfortable they're just like too much i mean as we were talking like in the beginning of the interview like too much into kind of like the purity mindset of like, oh, decentralization, this and that. But most people are just thinking like, I just want cheap transactions. I distinctly remember back in December 2020, uh, I was with some friends in Brazil. And I, was, I met some devs down there and they were building on BSC. I was like, wait, why are they building on BSC? But like, it, like two months later, BSC popped off and it made sense. So people are just looking for cheap transactions. And also like all these like chains, like you had like Avalanche Rush, you had like all these like prod, they, you had opportunities for people to, you know, grow and make money with the chain. And that's what people cared about. And those opportunities were just not on Ethereum on top of it just being too expensive. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it was, it just, a lot of people were priced out. And, you know, there's, there's definitely, you know, there's like idiots like Suzu and stuff who are like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I love, you know, you people don't, you people don't care about, oh. you know, 
You yeah. don't care about we, poor people. Like, oh yeah, sorry, Suzu, you care about poor people. Yeah, right, <laughs> I distinctly I, I remember good. that. Yeah, I distinctly you guys. For, yeah, yeah. It was it was like this. You know, there there was a lot of that, right? Of like, you know, the Ethereum community is, uh, you know, like delusional and attached from reality and blah 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 because you know you're all rich and you can afford high gas fees and so you know, but like. From my perspective, that is not the case. I sat in a Discord every day. You can go back to like 2019 Discord. Every single day, there'll be 50 questions of why is synthetic so expensive? Why are these transactions so high? It cost me $5 to claim my things like this week. And like, we were not delusional about the cost of transactions, right? Like it was just, we didn't get scaling right fast enough. That was it, right? Like it wasn't uh, for lack of trying. Like everyone was really bought in to we need cheaper transactions. This is not a viable thing if transactions are costing $20. Um, and we had a lot of abusive feedback about that being problematic. We were not uh, we we're not unaware of that problem. Yeah, it's so ironic you say uh, Suzu calling the Ethereum community detached from reality and then seeing what him and Kyle are up to now with whatever they're up to. Honestly, you know, I've been thinking about this. It just seems like, I'm, I'm not gonna lie that Suzu and Kyle just took like too many mushrooms and just like completely detached from reality and they're just in their own world and they think everything's all right. Um, so it's just like, we've had like a lot of characters that came through that cycle, like Suzu, we had SBF and like, luckily, like by the grace of God, we were able to weed them out. So I'm, so like, what are your thoughts on like the villains quote unquote from last cycle and like what people can do to, you know, prevent that from happening again, from to prevent them from like seeping in and like gaining influence again. It's hard because, you know, every cycle, the the number of new users who turn up in a day dwarfs all of the old users, right? And mm -hmm. so, you know, you've got this like effect where the ability for someone who's been around for a while to get cut through when there's new people popping up that are, you know, saying what people want to hear and, and you know, saying outrageous things, whatever, is really hard. <laughs> Like it is genuinely a hard thing to get to like hold people's attention because everyone's running around screaming. And, and so no, like I, I, I vividly remember talking to, um, talking to Suzu would have been, it was the first phone call that I had with him, but it would, it had to have been like 2019. Right. And the way that he spoke, like you know he obviously understands markets right like there was there was no question there right but the way that he spoke at the time based on what people had said to me like oh my god this guy's the smartest guy in the room like he's you know really switched on or whatever when you have that filter that, you know that bias that you're starting from right you hear some things and you interpret them a certain way where you're like well this guy knows what he's talking about whatever and he asked the questions which in hindsight were weird questions that like didn't really make that much sense but like my take was you know i've heard all these people like oh my god this guy's amazing like so smart and he like you know, really understands like all of these dynamics whatever like you totally talked to him and people i respected were saying this to me, right people who i thought really understood markets and like this guy upset markets even better but there was a sense that like again in hindsight where i'm like did he actually get it did he get what I was saying to him? Like, I don't know if he did really, or like, you know, I don't know if he had a deep enough understanding of like smart contracts or like mechanism design or whatever. And he just said some stuff in a way that sounded 
like esoteric and weird and i was like oh okay this guy uh, yeah what were the He's questions going, do you remember any of them at all i'm tonic i remember we had a, a very specific conversation like the the part of the conversation the thread was about this like um endogenous collateral idea right like snx is is you know the um primary collateral and i remember he was skeptical but everyone was skeptical right like everyone was like well this is crazy right and i remember explaining the um the fee mechanism and the way that like snx you know uh had value right like from this like floor this price floor that's created from like how many fees are being generated by the thing right and you know obviously at any time if people lose confidence in the entire system then the future revenue will disappear right and we were talking about that and we we're kind of going deep into that and, and digging into it um and at one point i guess he just kind of flipped and he was like okay yeah cool that sounds good um and so there was a body that was like, oh, he gets it. Like, this smart guy gets the system. But, like, I wonder now, because it didn't, it was just like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Like, I'm happy with that explanation, right? Like, he was skeptical, and then he wasn't skeptical. And I was like, this guy gets it. He's smart, of course. Like, he gets the system. Oh, he and gets it now. <laughs> right? Like, I'm like, wait a second. Like, does he? I, and I don't know. Maybe he did. But I certainly was very strongly biased towards being like, well, yeah, like, look, uh, no, no one else can figure this out. And this guy figure, has figured it out so quickly, right? Uh, and I remember talking to one of the CCs afterwards and being like, yeah, like, I think he kind of gets how the system works. But I go back now and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know if that was just my own bias. <laughs> it's funny because you, you became known for his esoteric posts on Twitter, especially at yeah. the tops of things. And um, yeah, um, but, you know, we weeded them out and now we're on to bigger and bigger, better things. Um, how is this bear market compared to the last bear market? Well, um, in the last bear market, everyone was about to die. I right? remember. <laughs> yeah. But, but, <laughs> You know, it was, it really was like scrounging around, as crazy as it sounds, right? Because, you know, so much money was raised, but everyone raised money in feet. And, you know, we raised at an average ETH price of like $950, something, right? Um, you know, by the time you get to the end of 2018 and ETH itself $100, right? If you raised $30 million, like we did, you're now down to $3 million, assuming you didn't convert, right? And we obviously converted. Quite, quite a bit of our ETH into USD. But the problem was we were so bullish and ev this is everyone, right? And like, I've said this, you know, like I'll be really transparent here. Like we were so bullish on ETH that we would convert some money, right? Some ETH into USD, whatever the, the minimal amount that we could justify, right? And then we would spend that. We would be all, I'm gonna spend this dirty fiat. I don't wanna spend my ETH, right? Like, you know, as it's going down, right? And I, I remember, distinctly we crossed uh, I, I was there with one of the cc's uh, and we were in korea so it must have been like july of 2018 or something like that and we're crossing the street and i and i you know open my phone as we're crossing the street i don't know why that makes sense but um you know try to get to buy a car maybe um, <laughs> and i open my phone right as the the light changes and i look at the price and he crossed it was either $500 or, or $300. It was like some threshold where I was like, it can't go below this, right? And I just remember turning to being like, it's over. Like, 
like, <laughs> over, right? Like it's over. Know, it, yeah, it's over, right? It, it must have been five hundred because I think it had kind of run back mm-hmm. up, and everyone was like bullish again, and then it just like dropped back. And, you know, yeah. and it all in town from July to like December, right? And you know that whole time we were still bullish ETH, and we didn't want to sell ETH, right? We were just like holding on for dear life, and by the time we got to the end of it, it was thirty thousand ETH, right? And we got to the end of the um, of twenty eighteen. And we were like, wow, like we are like down to like six months of runway or something. It was crazy. Like we started with wow. like a million years of runway and then we ended the year after a year. Like who, you know, startups are dangerous enough, right? But like who is crazy enough to keep the funding for their startup in a volatile asset? Of <laughs> nine the value. most volatile asset. I'm not. <laughs> you know, um, and I think that was that was the case across the board, right? Like so many projects just were YOLO long and just got heavily wrecked. And by the time you know 2019 arrived, we were all it was the walking dead. We were really, really like on the edge of survival. Yeah. And this bear market has been not like that. You chill not I would say <laughs> not, none of the OG DeFi projects are gonna die. Yeah. Right. In your market. That's just the reality, right? Like, you know, they're well funded enough. This is not going to happen. Right. So mm-hmm. you don't have that existential threat hanging over your head. I guess, like, what new or, challenges do the, the DeFi OG uh, projects have in this bear market? I think that the same, they're, they're kind of the same as they were um, in the bull market um, with a slight twist, right? Which is that most of them are orders of magnitude larger in terms of contributors, community, et cetera. And so getting things done is hard, right? Um, you know, getting things done, maintaining momentum and progress is hard. Um, it just takes longer to get things done. Um, you know, back in the day, it was like 30 people voting in a Discord poll to decide what we're going to do that. You know, like that was it, right? Um, and now it's like this long process and it has to be because the things are more valuable. And so this is like a bit of falsification. But I think one thing that has really helped in the bear market that's shifted is while it is still hard, it's actually easier to get attention in a bear market to get people to focus on those problems. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it takes longer. And when it only takes a while, a lot of people just get bored and they kind of switch off, right? Whereas in a bear market, there's more attention. And so you can get people to like focus on a problem all the way through the problem and through the governance process and kind of come out the other side. And so we've seen a lot more... Uh, you know, contentious governance decisions that just didn't devolve into like, you know, open warfare, right? Where it's like people could actually have the conversation, work through it and compromise and like get to the end state where, you know, everyone's happy-ish. Whereas in a bull market, I think that's much harder because you just can't maintain tension in the yeah. way that you can. And people are just distracted by price. You get a lot of tourists in the bull market, but now in the bear market, the, even though the price is down, the quality of participants and contributors, it goes up because they actually want to be there. Yeah. I mean, you know, the reality is that like, if you're still here, there's something deeply wrong. <laughs> Just even, like there's, there's something like in, you know, in your brain that's a little bit off. Right. Um, and so that I think requires a level of conviction that just shifts the, the, you know, uh, the calculus for a project, right. When, Everyone who's still there is convicted. Even if, you know, we still have a ton of people, you can go link to Synthetics Discord. There are still guys in there who are 
only here because they're deeply convicted that SNX has to go to zero. It is, it's bad and wrong and like needs to be like wiped from the face of the earth, right? But they've the got convictions. So yeah. <laughs> There's an army of Chomsky still around just flooding yeah. you, but keeping you sharp, yeah. keeping you out, like, you know, making I'm sure you sure. don't lose your edge. But they're high conviction. They're not tourists who are like, oh, this is dumb. Going to go to zero then on to the next thing. Like they're there every day. Like this is, you're like, here's my thesis of why SNX is worth zero. And I'm going to like push this until, you know, but again, like there's something wrong with them, but they're there and they're pushing for it. So. But isn't there such a thing as bullish fudding? Like I see DJ Spartan bullish fudding lighter on the timeline. Like trillions about to be unlocked, trillions about to go away. <laughs> I mean, it depends on if it's obvious psyops or not, right? Like yeah. uh, with G, a lot of it is is like just psyops, right? Psyops, he's just, yeah. Like you know, he's saying the opposite. Of, he's saying the opposite of what he believes in such a outlandish way. This way. Yeah. That like if you if you don't get it, it's almost like well, and I think he would say this, right? Like if you yeah. don't get it, it's on you, right? Like if you're like if you're selling because of the trillions of eats, it's about it's kind of you missed something in the conversation. Yeah, and the ones in the Discord fudding, that's a whole different type of fud. Uh didn't oh, yeah. DJ yeah, didn't DJ and Spartan come out? I mean DJ Spartan, he came out of the synthetics community, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was one of the OGs. Uh, oh. GMBH, um, you know, that's, that's his, uh, that was his original handle. Um, wow. Was it, yeah. has it been seeing his evolution from humble Spartan yeah. to like big influenza? Look, it's been, I think he deserves it, right? Like, yeah. he, you know, he's a contrarian thinker and I don't agree with even half of what he says to be totally honest. Right. And I think that, um, I, I would probably say that like success, and this may not even be the case, right? But success for him has warped his sense of reality a little bit. And I think it does for everyone, right? It just depends in what dimension. But then sometimes I'm like, is it all performance art? I don't even know. Like how much of it is real? <laughs> is it like, all I a psyop? <laughs> all style, right? Like, you know, I do... Look, there's a part of me that... Um, I think there's a lot of people that came through synthetics and did really well and, and built a platform um, off of the back of synthetics. Um, and many of them kind of went on to different things, right? Which is fun. Like, you know, no one owes a project anything. Um, and, you know, I think like Arthur from Defiance Capital was, you know, one of those people that like kind of went a bit too deep down the Altel one rabbit hole, right? I think he's come back a little bit and has kind of shifted back to the Ethereum community. Um, but uh, I don't know. There's 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 a, a sense of like, it is a bit mercenary, right? To like mm. not, like for me, loyalty is a big thing. And so there's people in the community that even if they don't participate in the community anymore, there's still a sense of loyalty towards the synthetics community. And Sometimes I want, I don't know. I'm not saying that um, that uh, G has no loyalty to the synthetics community, but it, sometimes it feels like he doesn't. And, and not even like explicitly, it's just like implicitly there's something missing there, which again is fine, right? Like people can move on to, to different mm -hmm. things. But for me, loyalty is a big deal. And so, um, you know, that, that probably doesn't sit as well with me as that. Mm, like not forgetting where you came from. 
A little bit. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a little bit of that. And like, you know, again, he was a smart guy and I think he was going to find something that was contrary and that was going to do well. And, you know, it didn't have to be synthetics. Just synthetics just happened to be the most contrarian thing that made sense maybe in 2019. Right. And he failed it. Um, and, you know, and not just found it, but like, and th- I think this is where maybe I've got a little, um, Again, like there's a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth because he was instrumental in shaping. It wasn't just like he found a thing and he kind of sat there cheerleading it, right? Like we had deep conversations about like what needed to happen and why and like the mechanism design and like talking about, you know, inflation and like he was a big part of that, right? Um, And so it feels weird to me to have done all of that and have like built this thing and then to just kind of be like, oh man, whatever, like move on, you know? Um, and not have any interest in it anymore, having like shaped it. That just, I don't know, maybe I'm too obsessive. That's that's my nature. And I think that that is the reality. Like I'm a very different personality to G, right? Like we're very yeah. different people. Um, I mean, I'm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like there's two types of archetypes in this space. There's the builders, there's the missionaries, and then, then there are the traders, they're the mercenaries. So you have the builders like you, Vitalik, and then you have the mercenaries like, you know, SPF, I mean, they're definitely like not the same person, but like those are two general categories and it's a spectrum of people. And it's just like, yeah, you can have like, you know, obviously G has some builder traits and he helped you with the mechanism design and this and that, but then he went and moved on to other things uh, such as Lido. But I I wouldn't really consider Lido contrarian. Like it is like the top dog LSD at 30%. And, you know, and he's behind it. I mean, like, yeah, it's like a pretty obvious bet. Like LSD is like, I think even back like last summer LSDs were pretty obvious. If anybody had, if anybody saw like, oh, this is like the base, the beacon, you know, the risk-free yield of Ethereum. But like to go behind like Lido, I feel like Frax, I mean, obviously bias. I feel like Frax is the contrarian bet of 2023. Like mm. everybody's fighting Frax still, like building too much stuff. Um, but yeah, what are your, I guess like what are your thoughts there between like the builders and the mercenaries? I mean, the build, yeah, the builders and the mercenaries. Yes, you know, there, I think that's a very um, sort of binary way of looking at it. I think there's yeah, it's a, a spectrum. It's definitely a spectrum, but like it's, if I, it had to be binary, I see like the two, two ways. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, there's also, there's also, you know, VCs out there who some are mercenary, right. And some like mm-hmm. there's different like classes, if you will. Right. If you want to put it into like RPG terms, right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and within those classes, they can be good or bad. You know, you can be like, the evil VC, like Multicoin, right? You know, mm-hmm. like Hal Samadhi, right? Like that's like the archetype of the evil VC, right? And yet, like, and I've said this before on Twitter, like to their credit, they kept investing through the bear market. Like the, the most evil VC in my mind is the VC that checked out in twenty late 2018, you know, like rode up this like wave and then he was just like, thanks guys, see you later and walked away. Um, you know, Multicoin still showed up at like ETH conferences and stuff. And, you know, they're still investing. They're still deploying capital. Like, you know, I might not necessarily like where they deploy the capital all the time. Right. But that's, you mm-hmm. know, it's a free market. Right. And so I don't know. I, I think um, with G, it's a little bit like there's the mercenary aspect, but there's also like taking contrarianism too far. And I, I, I agree with your point about Lionel, right? Like it's not that contrary, but mm. um, 
uh, there's almost like an ideological contrarianism, right? Where like some of the shit that he says is just like out there, right? Um, yeah. You know, so, um, but at the same time, he's like everyone, he's got bag of all the bikes, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, he's got a bag of Lido and that's the thing that he's going to shill and, and push or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of worse things to shill than Lido. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, it's not yeah. like he doesn't say, like, he says openly, like, yeah, I'm going to dump on you. So you got to, like, respect him. For, he's a respectful <laughs> ad, adversary in the field. <laughs> See, that, that's the thing, right? Where, like, that shift somewhere, it shifted, right? Like, some, like, he was, I would argue, in the early days of synthetics, very positive son, right? He was mm. a positive son player, and he was like, we can all do better by understanding things and spreading you know the right information and, and countering misinformation or whatever and at some point he shifted from positive sum to zero sum now maybe that zero sum personality was always there right um but he he took on this like he almost adopted this like evil villain character and that's where i'm not sure if it's like performance art right like it feels like it's kind of performance art because i don't think that's his personality yeah um, the problem is you do something long enough you know, and like, you know, like you adopt that personality, right? It starts to, it starts to kind of seep into your real personality. And so I wonder, yeah. I, you know, I haven't, I haven't met him in person in a long time. Um, so I don't know, you know, in person, uh, how much it translates from Twitter. I only, I only get the Twitter yeah. for these days, but yeah, it's just I mean, an interesting thing. People, people evolve. Yeah. Twitter has a way of, uh, amplifying zero sum characters as we see. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, look at Elon was, Musk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a, cool. another that's another arc. Um, yeah, yeah. So you met DJ and Spartan in person, like way back in the day. Yeah. Oh wow. Oh, what's he like in person? So he's not like he's well. It must have been a while ago. Who knows? Like how he's changed. But like, what was he like in person? Well, he's eight feet tall and he carries a battle axe. So you know, <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, so you can, let's uh, switch gears a bit uh, to, you know, what we like are here to get into. And that is a uh, synthetics V3 uh, finally out, been rolling out for a bit. So uh, what is synthetics V3 and how is it different than other derivatives protocols out there? I think I'm like categorically the worst spokesperson for synthetics V3. <laughs> Fine. Really? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm not the only person talking about B3. Thankfully, there are a lot of mm-hmm. more credible people in the community that talk about B3. But I get asked about B3 and my answer is always like, well, you know, we built this thing that was like a cobbled together, you know, uh, like system that's like held together with, you know, duct tape and plywood and stuff. And then it kind of worked. And we're like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> like, what if we build this thing out of like, you know, carbon fiber and, and you know, steel or something like that? Like, how much more effective would it be? And so... For me, like that was the initial starting point. I think like the the impetus for V3 was we have reached a point where upgrading and and making changes and iterating on V2X is so hard because you just don't know what you're going to touch that's going to be a live wire. There's Mm. so many, like there's more live wires than like anything, right? And so like, you know, you're kind of like, creeping slowly through this thing being like god don't touch anything don't touch anything and you touch something you're electrocuted you're dead right and mm-hmm. so <clears throat> the idea was like okay it works we get it we understand why it works now but we have all this legacy stuff that we need to get rid of right so let's start from scratch 
Like even the proxy architecture that we used back in the day is just like insane by today's standards, right? Like the state of the art in like engineering has improved in like solidity, you know, over the last five years, right? And so um, basically the engineers started from uh, the absolute like lowest level of like proxy contract architecture, rebuilt that, um, you know, decided something was going to be much more modular, et cetera, uh, and then started, you know, building on it. The cool thing that I think, and this is this is the the interesting part about B3, which I'm not as qualified to speak about, is as they rebuilt it, you know, when you're rebuilding something, you you know, you realize that the way that it was built before is maybe even more inefficient than you thought, right? Like, you know, you've got this thing and it's a functional system, and you're like, okay, let's just replicate that over here. You start to replicate it, and I think you see things that were not clear from the outside of this other thing, right? Because the way that it was put together was so weird. And, you know, there's like vestigial limbs hanging off so that you're not sure why they're there, but they're like a cheaper way to the thing that's over there. And if like you take it off, the whole thing falls apart. And so I think as it was rebuilt, there were a lot of things that became obvious um, that were possibilities or, or, you know, potential in the protocol that um, would not just be rebuilding it in a more efficient manner, but would actually allow you to extend the protocol and, and do more stuff, right? And so I think one of those things is um, permissionless markets. Um, but uh, permissionless markets to me, I think they're really cool. And I think that there is the potential that permissionless markets will drive some crazy new idea that just isn't possible today, right? And, you know, Ethereum is a permissionless market system, right? Like, Ethereum itself, you go and build a market, right? You go and build a smart contract that like replicates some arc and people will trade. The problem is there's this like, you know, like cold star crop, right? That, okay, you know, would the three of us come up with some idea, right? And we go and build this smart contract that like allows people to trade some weird derivative or some instrument, right? Um, no one's going to care. There's no liquidity. Like it's not, you know, like we can tweet about it, but like no one's really going to pay that much attention or whatever. Um, with synthetics, you have a built-in audience and you have built-in liquidity, right? And so I think, you know, I remember back in the day talking to Hark from UMA about this, right? Um, and we had this idea like synthetics is one end of the spectrum where it's this giant ball of all the things with all the liquidity in one pool, right? And UMA is like tiny slivers of liquidity in each individual, you know, quarterized pool, right? Um, siloed pool what if you could have something that was a hybrid you know what if you could kind of combine them or like use some liquidity for synthetics to bootstrap because UMA had some cool ideas but nothing ever really got off the ground right because it just doesn't have that cold start problem and not enough liquidity there even within token incentives and stuff um, and this is kind of what permissionless pools are right it's a place where someone can go and build a pool and it is going to be inside synthetics. So there's a built-in audience. There's a built-in, you know, the same way that you try to up to Uniswap, you make a permissionless pool. It's much easier to get people to buy into that. Even if the assets are terrible, the pool architecture is at least safe, right? So like, you're like, well, I know I'm only taking risk in like the dimension of the asset might be nonsense, right? Uh, but I'm not taking risk of like going into this pool. The architecture works, right? Um, and this will be the same. It'll be like, well, okay, I want to trade this asset. Someone's created this weird derivative. I might not trust the derivative, but I can trust synthetics that 
the architecture that like I'm going into this thing, I'm not going to get robbed or whatever, right? Um, and so I think that that is something that's really cool. But there's even things like in synthetic spot markets never really made sense, even though that's what we started with, right? Spot markets are this kind of loss leader free service that you're offering on some level, right? You're giving someone exposure to synthetic Bitcoin on Ethereum and not charging them in. Like, where is the money coming from? And like, you could say the same thing about RAP BTC, right? Like, how is it making money, right? Well, you know, I'm sure RAP BTC has some ways of making money by lending out the Bitcoin or whatever is going on there, right? Thankfully, they didn't blow themselves up. I don't know exactly what what is going on there, but what you know, <laughs> job of not becoming insolvent over the last two years. So they're doing something, right? But like, you know, there's a sense of like, what what's the what's the kind of revenue model of this, right? And synthetics, it was like, well, people are going to trade, right? People are going to go from synthetic Bitcoin to synthetic Ether, but it just doesn't pay enough to justify that like free carry you're giving someone to like hold Bitcoin and Ethereum. It's, it's not doesn't make sense. And so <clears throat> with uh, with V3, they've reimagined what spot orbits do and their the architecture and, and the like incentives are just much better. Um, now, again, I'm not the best person to talk about it because I haven't been involved in the engineering lift of like getting this there. Um, but I definitely know that the existing spot markets are super inefficient and the new ones on v3 are going to be much more efficient so um you know it, there's there's a lot of opportunity there for things that just can't exist in the current version of syntax yeah um from i've talked to a few people about synthetics v3 and from like my my, my understanding of synthetics v3 is you have a new stablecoin snx usd which are like the chips and then you have the markets, which are the games, and then you have like the pools, which are the house. And with Synthetics V2, there is only one game. But with Synthetics V3, you can play a bunch of games. There are games that haven't been even invented yet. Is that a good yeah. way to simplify it? I think I think it is. Although there's probably one thing that needs to be clarified. So I had this dumb idea of rebranding stablecoin to SNXUSD. Um, mm-hmm. And that got shut down hard. Oh, it um, did. Okay, because in the blog post, it was SNXUSD. Yeah, so so that and the you know the idea was that people don't know that SUSD is associated with synthetics. I guess that was like kind of the the thing. So why not make it more explicit? But what's actually happened is it's gone the other way now. Mm-hmm. So the old SUSD, which is backed by SNX, is going to be now called SNX USD because uh... back. And the new one will be called SUSD. Um, it oh. seems like that's the community consensus. So another one of my dumb ideas that's been shot down by the community. But, you know. <laughs> community keeping you in check. Yeah, absolutely. But imagine, okay, like, and this is like such a, like, silly example, right? Because at the end of the day, SNXUSD, SUSD doesn't make sense. Like, rebranding, all, like, I don't, like, on some level, every decision in a startup is, like, existential right like it might be that calling it snx usd is like the worst possible thing you could do and you know five years later you look back in hindsight and be like and that's the point where synthetics die right like <laughs> now we don't know that right but like on some level in the startup every decision is high stakes right and so you don't want to be like oblivious or, or you know life about it and be like oh whatever who cares name it something names don't matter right like i think names do matter uh, but 
if I were still the CEO, I mean, I was never the CEO of Synthetics, but if I was still the CEO of Synthetics and I really felt convicted about SNX USD, then that's what it would be called. Right? Yeah. And there are a lot of people in the community who are like, that is a really dumb thing and it wouldn't matter because I'd be like, I don't give a fuck. That's what we're doing. I'm in charge <laughs> and we're calling it SNX USD. I like that. And if the that- The capo coming out, the capo coming out. Exactly. But like, imagine if that were the decision that like blows it up, right? And on some level, it's like, okay, cool. Changing the name, right? Changing the name, uh, it hasn't blown up from being called SUSD, right? Like SUSD is fine. So this is a, a positive change in the sense that like, we're putting something out there now that is different, that could be problematic as opposed to going with status quo, right? Status quo is SUSD. So the community is saying, let's stick with the status quo. We do need two names because there will be two non-fungible stable coins. So let's name a crappier one SNX USD. Yes. Like, what were you thinking? Right. And I was like, oh yeah, that's a good point. Actually, that probably makes more sense. Um, yeah. But again, like if I were the dictator of this thing, I would just say, no, I'm right. And I'd be probably more inclined to not listen to them and be like, no, I'm definitely got sucked. So yeah, why you're not decentralized governance. It's just a, yeah. a really small example, but like, it's just, a, you know, it's just an obvious thing you need to factor it. Are there other of uh, these examples of decentralized governance and synthetics at work? Uh, for example, I was reading about collateral types. There was like some contention like, oh, should we keep it as just SNX or like, oh, like we got to like have be multi-collateral. Um, so like what, do, what are other contentious governance points? I'm not a big one, right? Yeah. Because there's... There, there are two broad, two broad camps, right? In synthetics, mm -hmm. about like uh, the collateral approach, right? On some level, the thing that has held synthetics back since its inception, right, is that SNX is the collateral, right? Like, if you know, and this is going to be unfair, but I have a certain perspective, and so I'm going to frame it in a way that makes the people who don't agree with me look like look bad, but that's just what I'm going to do. I'm going to do <laughs> and just collapse. So the mid curve take, right, is like, no, you can't have SNX as the only collapse, right? Like that's the mid IQ take, right? Like, no, it doesn't work. You know, it's too risky. It's not liquid enough, et cetera, et cetera, right? And then you've got the like, you know, like far left and far right curve takes, which are like SNX collateral good. Right, like that's it. That's all you need to know, right? And the, and the reason that I think people in that mid curve approach really have such a hard time with this is they're like, there are better collaterals out there. Why would you use a worse collateral? Like, use the best collateral. Like, oh, it's obvious you can't use a worse collateral when there are better collaterals. Use ETH. It's a better collateral. Okay, cool. Who else has used ETH as collateral and run into some issues? Maker. Maybe like, you know, like, okay, fine. It's a better collateral, but like there it's not like it's a silver bullet that fixes all problems. Like if that were the case, then maker would have $80 billion worth of stablecoin issuance, right? Instead of fucking tether. So like something is off there, right? In this sense of like, just use ETH and it will fix all your problems. Well, it didn't work for maker, right? That didn't solve all of maker's problems. It didn't scale because there are challenges with like inducing enough demand to borrow against eat right and so my argument is that you don't need other collaterals until you do right and right now we don't 
we do not have sufficient demand, right? Um, we have the ability to add other blocks and, and we could do it fairly quick, right? So you build in the capacity to do it, right? But you don't do it until you absolutely need to and you don't do it too early because the flip side of the argument is that if the reason why synthetics works is because SNX has value as the primary collateral and then you switch it out into ETH because ETH is a better collateral, right? Then you get in the situation where people might just be like, oh, what's the point of this, right? Like there's no alignment between all of the different components, right? Um, and so my view is let's get to a point where we're running out of capacity, which we're not there yet. We're not even close, right? Once we run out of capacity in SNX, then let's have the conversation about ETH collateral, right? And then the flip side is ETH collateral is better collateral, just use that. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I feel like we've got some empirical evidence that SNX is not as bad a collateral as people like to claim that it is. It's been going along fairly well for like five years. So, so you're in the pure SNX collateral camp. I'm in, I'm in the SNX until you cannot possibly survive for another minute without adding other clap. That's my view. Yeah, until it's like, oh, it's completely, you know, off peg and time to add other collateral. Okay. Yeah. Um, What are your thoughts on like alternative derivative models? Like, you know, GMX with GLP, they had GLP out the gate and they had like, you know, that was like the pool token, quote unquote. And like, do you think it works for them? Or like, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, empirically it does, right? And this is the thing that I think people, people get very caught up with in this space, right? They want to look at things theoretically. And it's like, you can look at it as theoretically as you want, but there's empirical evidence there, right? Now, okay, something can work. You know, you don't want to be like a thousand days in the life of a turkey chart, right? Where something works until it doesn't. You don't want to be in that situation where you're just oblivious to the risks and kind of uh, picking up pennies in front of a steamroller type thing. But like, there is something about that that does work. And, and I think the reason why on some level it works, and I don't know if they were the first ones to do this, but like, as in, I don't know if GMX were the first ones to do this, but, you know, they've kind of taken the Uniswap model, but they've actually turned on the B-switch from the beginning, right? So it's, mm. you know, like a balancer type thing or, you know, whatever, right? Mm. Um, so the idea is like LPs are one thing and token holders are another, and you kind of have those two separate camps and, the token holders get some fees, but the LPs get the majority of the fees. And so everyone, you kind of keep this balance and you kind of keep everyone happy, right? Um, Synthetics does not do that, right? Synthetics says you have LPs and stakers and they're all one and they get 100% of the fees and they take all the risks, right? But we, I would argue, have kind of come to our senses on that a little bit. And so in V3, I've been advocating for us having like a, a staking model where you stake SNX and you don't get as many governance rights. You don't get as much fee yield, but there is a place for people who are not comfortable being an LP, but want to support the protocol, right? Like synthetics right now is like, okay, you want to support the protocol? Go jump into a six week boot camp, <laughs> right? Like strap on your AK 47 and like go, you know, running, you know, like towards the enemy, right? <laughs> if you're not willing to do that and you're not willing to like, get your head blown off in you know further into the like the you know the community then we don't want you and it's like well hang on a second like there might be room for some people that are like kind of interested but like not ready yet to like you know become planet right like maybe it'll have a little bit of a nuance yeah that right like 
you know, basically like you have an option of like being a diehard SNX holder that's willing to go down with the ship and just be wiped out completely or or get the fuck out. Like that's the current take, right? And I think that having a, a place where it's like, well, I'm interested in this, but I'm not yet willing to die for it. I just found out about it yesterday. Like, can we like find that? You know, like, I felt like, right. can I get a bit more yeah. information before I like you know, sign up for that? And I think that having a place where you can stake SNX, get some fees, participate a little bit, understand it, and then maybe migrate to you know the more uh, you know heavy duty version of stake, um, you know, becoming an LP, splitting that up, I think that makes sense. And so when I look at the GMX model, I I see that as a very mm. obvious fit to that model. I think like all pooled derivatives models, there's challenges, right? Like there's adverse selection, there's a whole bunch of things. And, you know, I think they're trying to work through it. Thankfully, we've got five years of experience dealing with like adverse selection and toxic flow and all of that stuff. And I think we've solved it, like, you know, to the, for the majority of cases. Um, but it was a very painful way of solving something. Oh, yeah, I mean, like you guys were the first trying to figure it all out. And so you're just yeah. the ones taking the fire. Um, would you say though, that like those early SNX stakers and holders that are like, are just like out in the field, like the Spartans, like going into the front lines, they're the ones that like held up the protocol though, even through like the harshest of times. But now I guess like you're at this point where it's like, okay, like how can we expand our base, but still like stay true to those early OGs. It's like, okay, like maybe there's like some like Spartan light area we can put them. And this, this is the interesting thing, right? And like, as you say that, I kind of wonder to go back to the G conversation, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you have been like literally running around in a forest trying to kill people for like four years and you're like, guys, I just want to take a break. And the answer is no, you can't take a break. There's no break. Keep yeah. killing people like this. Like this is a war, right? Like you yeah. cannot rest, right? Um, then I can see how you might be like one well, nervous high. Right. Like, I just want to, mm. I think your brain, I'm just going to check out completely and you kind of drift away. Right. And I think that the history of synthetics, because the, the requirement of staying engaged is so high, right. That we seem to have more people like my, my, my take. And again, maybe I'm wrong about this, but if you look at OG protocols, it feels like we've had more people that kind of came in and then left and, you know, and like some like heavy people, right. Like Tricio, you know, People who are just like, this is not for me anymore. I'm going to go. And they didn't even stick around at all. They just kind of left. And we gave them a pretty strong incentive to stick around because they had escrowed SNX for like a year. And a lot of them were just like, ah, like, no, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to sell this off as I go and I'm out. I can't handle this pressure. They made it four years. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then, you know, the argument of that is if someone wants to leave, right, um, you know, you just, I could holding them against their will is not going to help right yeah like, you don't want to you don't want a guy in the forest with an ak-47 that really doesn't want to be there that guy's a liability right you want to make yeah. sure that the water <laughs> they're taken care of yeah percent, exactly so you know so i think that like there's there is you know there are a lot of heavy heavy ogs that were in the synthetics community that just checked out complete and maybe that's where you know to mm. begin to go back to that conversation there's a bit of like bitterness maybe and like that even includes ccs like there's ccs that are just like they're out like i was on a death march for five years like let me live my life right like please you know what do you um, ccs what do you mean by ccs 
Oh, core contributors. Oh, core so, contributors. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But the, the original 10 core contributors, none of them are still in the protocol. Like, I'm yeah. the only one, you know, that Haven office, right? Like, you know, on the day when we migrated from uh, Haven to Synthetics, there were 10 people in the office, give or take, maybe nine or 10. There's only one person who's still like regularly engaging. You know, almost everyone is, is kind of moved on to other things right and even i took breaks right there was a point where i was like listen guys putting my gun down i'm gonna to to take a break it's been too intense right what was I, it I mean, like what was it like taking those breaks were you yearning for the field and battle again or were you just like chilling like what was it? i had ptsd dude i was like <laughs> i couldn't even think about the field of battle i was like uh, if anything popped over my head about it i would freak out like i really i, I couldn't even think about it like people would be like hey we've got this problem like can we talk to you about it and i would like really struggle just to even focus on it it was really hard um and it took me i would say you know different times where like i i dipped in and i stopped in being involved in governance or like i would just do stuff in the background or like you know i kind of relinquished governance control but i would still be able to counsel where i could like have some say i tried a bunch of different ways to fit in the community um you know and as a an insane person as I am, they made it, most of them didn't really work, right? But it turned out that what I actually needed to do, you know, after a lot, like decades of startup world, I just needed to kind of purge my brain a little bit. And so I took like six months and I really just like focused on getting healthy and, and getting, you know, like finding like a, a sense of balance in my life. Uh, and at some point in the last like two or three months, it kind of clicked over where I, that PTSD kind of dropped to like a, a hum instead of like a roaring thing, you know? And it now was minimized, I'm, yeah. Yeah, now I'm, I'm working on, I'm working on uh, a new thing in the synthetics ecosystem at the moment um, oh. that's probably going to be announced this week, maybe. So What, what is this uh, new thing that you speak yeah, of? Just teaser like that. <laughs> wow. No, that's, that's my only teaser. That's all I got for you. Oh, no, no. Oh, no. Did he just leave? Heck. He's back. Oh, sorry, guys. Uh, all right. Uh, Kane, getting into uh, Synthetics V3 a bit more. Uh, I had a question uh, when I was also talking to a friend about V3 and who's actually like jumped into your code and docs and everything. Um, what is the incentive for... That I... <laughs> okay fair warning um in your own words what is the incentive for integrators to create markets on synthetics like what even though like yeah there's this like cold you know bootstrap cold start problem but at the same time like i have my liquidity i can get fees from that um meanwhile if i'm like you know using synthetics it's synthetics that's like taking all the fees so, and like, yeah, I can put like fees on top, but like, then wouldn't I want to go to a place with lower fees? So I'm wondering like, what, what is your, you know, pitch to people come build on synthetics? Do you think there could be something like a rev share in the future with the fees? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, um, my understanding is that the most recent discussions about like market structure in synthetics is that the market creator sets the fees. Okay. Um, now, it's possible that governance will have some enforced fee share, right? Um, so, you know, like there could be some minimum 
amount of uh, the, the fee revenue that needs to go to SNX stakers, right? Um, and, and SNX LPs. But ultimately, if there's, if there's a market where only SNX, let's, let's assume a situation where only SNX is cloud, right? There's no uh, exogenous cloud, okay? So you have to convince SNX uh, LPs to put uh, you know, liquidity into your market, right? Um, and that's your job as the market creator, right? Uh, so if you were to construct a market where 100% fees goes to Dave Coin holders, right? Of that's which right. there's only one, right? Um, they, you're probably not going to get many, uh, many liquidity providers putting liquidity in that market, right? Now you could do it, but then you've got the same situations if you just went and built your own market contract on Ethereum and deployed and said, hey, like, you know, Dave Coin derivatives land is open, right? Um, you know, come and trade on it. Yeah. Dave Coin derivative land. You know, I think like the the idea is that market creators will need to find a balance. They'll need to attract, like you still need to attract LPs to put collateral into the market. And if the market is good and people want to trade it, that will happen naturally, right? But if you don't have the right fee structure, um, you know, then it'll be problematic. In a situation where we do have ETH collateral, let's say, right? Um, you may not need to pay as many fees to SNX LPs, right? There might be some like, you know, uh, enforced amount, but like maybe you don't need to pay that much and we're just looking to attract ETH, whatever reason, right? Let's say you're going to build like an ETH back stable coin of some kind and use the synthetics market. And then to step way back, like why does someone use the synthetics market in V3 versus building their own market? Well, you know, if you build your own market, you could fuck it up. That's the first thing, right? Like why don't you build your own AMM pool? Like why do you use the Uniswap, um, you know, uh, why do you use the Uniswap V3 or V2 pool, right? Um, you know, because that is a battle-hardened contract that everyone trusts, right? Um, and, you know, so you turn up the useful factory contract, it, you know, gives you an AMM pool and everyone trusts it. Now, they might not trust the assets that are in there, but they trust the thing, right? So you may not trust the derivative and how it's calculated, especially if it uses some weird off-chain Oracle system, right? Like a user might worry about that. Um, but they will over time trust the synthetics market, you know, uh, contracts, right. And know that, well, they're not going to get broken by that. Like, you know, this a hundred billion dollars over here sitting in the BTC and ETH pools, you know, I'm using the same exact contract. So it's safe. Right. Um, and so I think that coming to a place where you have everything you need to construct a novel derivative market, and you've got the Lindy of, you know, all of those markets having existed for a long time, having a high TBL, et cetera, et cetera. It's just going to be easier to attract people. You just need to get the right incentives in place to make sure that it attracts liquidity. That's, that's your only job. Get it. You have, have some people want to trade and then make sure that the, the incentives are aligned. Yeah. So what kind of markets do you want to see on V3? Um, yeah. I have no idea, honestly. Like I, <laughs> I really don't. Um, I feel like this is one of those things where it is a new kind of enabling technology for, for on-chain derivatives. And my thesis for most markets is that people don't want to trade them. I think that for the vast majority, like 95% plus, right? When people come to me and they're like, I'm building a new protocol 
and it lets people will trade like I don't know, corn volatility futures on chain. And I'm like, no, like, sorry, like no one's like, they don't care. Right. Um, and so, um, there, but the problem is that someone who turns up with a novel derivative market that they think everyone's going to love, right? Like people, like, you know, this corn farmer is just like convinced that everyone wants to trade corn volatility futures, but the market just hasn't been there for them to do it right and like once it is then everyone's gonna pile in the easier you make it to prove that person wrong right the better off we will all be like if that person turned up very easily and we can disprove their thesis that people genuinely want to trade this dumb derivative that they've bought up right then we can all move on to doing something that people do want to do right so long as you have this like idea that people might want to do it but this inefficiency in the market of people test that i think you have a more inefficient market and we want more efficiency right so let's get through all of the dumb stuff right and maybe like one in 20 or something like that or one in 100 of these markets will genuinely be something that people really want to trade but at the moment the barriers to entry for like creating a new derivative are like six months of work like you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of like engineering and audits and everything, marketing, like creating a discord, like overhead is huge to create like a new set of contracts to, to, you know, go and trade something. Right. Um, synthetics will make that like a two week exercise, maybe. Right. Synthetics yeah. V3 will be like, you can turn up with an idea, plug the components together and away you go. And you'll know in the month whether or not it was a dumb idea. And most times it will be dumb and no one will trade it and it will die. And then we know, and you can move on to something better. It's smarter. But so long as you're like, you know, piling away, like putting like you know, months and months of effort, right? Engineering effort and intellectual effort into building this thing, the market is less efficient and we have less information about the world. And that's a bad situation to be in. Going a full circle back to the beginning of the interview and also which is relevant in the news right now uh, with the submarine because there is a prediction market with poly market about the submarine and now you have all this genuine talk about prediction market which warms my heart because I've like worked on wow. prediction markets in the past usually people don't give a fuck about it until the election year and so it goes like every four years it's like yeah prediction markets it's the time and then like nope then it's just like it's just a darkness it's like a bear market for prediction markets but now like with you know both poly market getting genuine attraction, whether you ethically agree with the uh, marine markets or not, uh, yeah. and elections coming up, like you could have prediction markets uh, on uh, as um, synthetics V three, um, and but I just like wonder like you always have like the oracle problem uh, with that. It's like okay, like you have to like have it's different than like a chain. So like uh, with like your standard consensus. So what are your thoughts on like prediction markets on synthetics V three? So I think the the challenge with prediction markets has been that arc, like yeah. historically. And so, you know, um, whether it was Gnosis, right, or, um, you know, Augur or whatever, like, you know, Augur is like multi-round, convoluted. Oh, it's so complicated. Theme of like, what the fuck is this evil talking about, right? Like that to me is kind of indicative of like coming from this like you know immune, like all it was like we need to build something that can scale to a trillion dollars right or something like that and it was just like such an outlandish level of like security that they wanted built into this part that they didn't even know if anyone would want to use right 
So like my thing is like build a prediction market that like a few people are willing to put 20 bucks in. Like do that thing and get people to put 20 bucks in and then let's have a conversation, right? Like don't build the thing that's like resistant to nation states out of the gate that is so convoluted that like no one will ever use it, right? Like it's just such an insane approach, right? So I think that, yes, to your point, like synthetics will make, synthetics V3 will make it easier for people to spin up prediction markets and things like that, right? It'll, it'll solve that problem. But I also, you know, prediction markets were one of my main Ethereum things when I like first started reading about Ethereum. It was one of the mm-hmm. things that I was most excited about, right? Um, and yeah, you're right. Like it's never really come to fruition. And I remember meeting, reading a thread, um, I can't remember who wrote it. He's one of the um, guys that uh, launched, um, one of the founders of uh, one of the like big, uh, wagering sites, right? Um, where, but it was like peer-to-peer wagering, like mm-hmm. back in the day, I think about like ten years ago. Uh, so they they build these like peer-to-peer wagering things, and they're like, no one cares, no one wants to like bet their friend about whether the dog over there is gonna like you know run to the other end of the yard in ten seconds. Like it's just like so fragmented that like it's just not an interesting thing. People want to bet on like. You know, it's it's a really it's like a winner take all sort of market, right? People want to bet on the Super Bowl. They want to bet on you know the NBA final. They want to bet on like you know like maybe individual NBA games or like whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, they don't want to bet on like you know net like girls under 13's netball, right? Like so you can make that a thing and like it's fine, right? But no one is going to use it, and so the overhead of like creating these things just. And so, like, the idea, basically, th- this threat was, like, we tried this. We did this. It's not a thing. No one wants to do it. They just want to do the big things, right? And it's the same argument of, like, if a market doesn't exist, it probably doesn't exist because people don't want to trade, right? If a derivative doesn't exist. But there are some counterexamples. We just don't know what they are. And so, on some level, it's like, okay, let's get through all the things and work out. But if there is, you know, even a list of 10 things that people do want to trade that we just haven't discovered yet that are super valuable to give us information about the world, let's discover those 10 things, right? Mm-hmm. And so let's do it in a way where it doesn't need this huge edifice to be able to support it. Can, you know, people can spin things up, they can test quickly, find out, oh yeah, okay, no one wants that, cool, let's move on to the next thing until eventually they find something that they do want and it's cool and it blows up. Yeah, uh, I remember... Speaking of blowing up, um, no pun intended, I remember reading uh, DARPA had an experiment with, or like the Defense Department had an experiment, experiment with a prediction market internally about terrorist attacks, but then they shut it down because it was too accurate. <laughs> that sounds yeah. about right. I mean, yeah. you know, like there, I think that the prediction market maximalists, right, um, are. Uh, you know, like Joey, right? Like, you know, people who are like, this is the way that the world should understand itself or something, right? And like, I'm not quite there, but I, I do genuinely believe the prediction markets have the ability to like tell us things, right? Um, you know, and and that they're a very efficient way of discovering, markets are a very efficient way of discovering the truth, right? Uh, and so when you put incentives in place, people will, you know, you'll get there eventually. Um, they're not perfect. They don't always get it right, but you know, they're an efficient way of, of kind mm-hmm. of discovering the truth. Uh, I think if you if you believe that, then it's easy to think that it is like this universal thing, right? That like applies in all circumstances. 
but where it doesn't apply is where no one cares, right? Like mm-hmm. working out if the dog will get to the end of the street in 20 seconds or less, right? Like it's not an efficient market. So having the prediction market on that is not going to tell, like, you know, you're better off just observing the thing and, and figuring it out, right? Like there's not enough interest in it. So like you need that like initial amount of interest to actually find out the truth, right? And so I think that like the, the prediction market maxis sometimes miss that. They think that like, because it's good at discovering the truth about like large scale things that people really care about, that that should filter down into smaller scale things. And, and I think that as it filters down, the markets get less efficient and therefore the information discovery gets less efficient and they yeah. become less valuable. If people don't care, then they don't even care for the answer, so. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, Kit, you've been uh, quiet and contemplating. Uh, I know you had a few yeah. questions on the break, so go ahead. Yeah, Kane. So I just had a question because, you know, Haven Synthetics is now almost like five years, five plus year old. And as kind of like the, the founder from the very beginning and as the main CC that's still around, how was like your evolution of your role has been? And what are you working on nowadays? Like, what is a daily day in the life of Kane El Capo looks like? Kane El Capo. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. I think what has happened is we went from like true startup, right? Like, you know, three people in a garage style startup, right? When, when, you know, uh, even I was running another company. Um, I was running a, a payment company called Blue Shipped in, you know, um, in 2017, right? That's how I got into crypto um, because we were a payment gateway for a lot of the crypto exchanges. And so we sort of, took a little corner of the office and started thinking about Haven like a couple of days a week, you know, back in, I think, startup 2017. Um, I'd come back from a break. I just, my daughter had been born in December of 2016. I came back from a break and I've been like really kind of deep diving into Ethereum. And I was like, okay, like I, you know, I'm, I think that I want to build something. Right? It's not, just not an asset I want to hold. I want to actually participate. Uh, and we are aware of the things that are missing. And so we have like three people, then it was four, then it was five, but all the way through 2018, 2019, it was kind of 10 people in a room and everyone kind of knew everything. It was very traditional startup. Um, and then obviously COVID happened. It became like this distributed organization. We decentralized governance, all of that stuff. Uh, and now synthetics exists in a state that I think, you know, and a lot of DeFi protocols did this, which is fairly unique in the world. I don't think that we've had organizations like this real, right? Where there are strong financial, like we've had organizations which are fairly distributed and decentralized. Uh, and, you know, there's some like ideological motivation for everyone contributing. Uh, this There's still a strong financial incentive for people to contribute in the same way that you would with a, a company or a corporation or something like that. Um, and yet it's very distributed and decentralized. And so it's a weird thing. And I don't think we really know what it looks like. And so, you know, as I kind of alluded to earlier, it took me a while to figure out where do I sit in this thing, right? Um, and I think where I've kind of landed is that trying to do things that are on the critical path is not my place anymore. You know, I used to be on every single critical path simultaneously, right? And I think that as like an early stage founder, you kind of have to be. Um, now I'm on zero critical path, right? In fact, I've actually decided to go and, you know, pick up and kind of move further outside of what synthetics proper is doing and figure out a way to contribute and be on a critical path that is not part of the main critical path. It's its own thing, right? Um, I know that's a lot of uh, 
you know, very wishy-washy language, right? But I'm, <laughs> you'll buy that in the next few days, what my plan is, well, right? This comes out on Wednesday, so it, it may be out by then. I think it might, yeah. Well, let's see. We have to get a landing page up with, a, with like some details and stuff. Can you, give us, can you give us a hint? Can you give us like a word? Just like one word. That's a hint. Uh, oh, man. One word. Um, let's say pragmatic. Pragmatic. I've learned to be. I've learned to be less dogmatic over time, but I've become a bit more pragmatic about things. And pragmatic. I think, I think that taking a pragmatic approach in this cycle is going to be the the way to get traction. That's my view. Uh, and the good thing is, and this this comes back to what's my role, right? I can I have the luxury of being pragmatic because there is this whole system and infrastructure and ecosystem and governance framework that is much more dogmatic about decentralization, right? So I can actually sidestep and be like, okay, cool, you guys keep doing that thing. That's going really well. I'm going to go and do this pragmatic thing that I think is missing, maybe, that you guys aren't doing. Because it's permissionless, I can do that. I can turn up and be like, I'm going to build something I think we all need. And I'm not even going to ask for permission. I'm just going to do it. If you don't like it, bad luck, right? Uh, and I can kind of control that and like have a bit more of uh, a, a say in how that's operating, I guess, or at least initially how it's structured. And it obviously needs to be decentralized like everything else, but it gives me a chance to like get that mm. kind of, you know, uh, it's early takeoff phase again. It's like you're raising a new army, basically. A new outfit for the Kappa. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe it's more like a little like mercenary team that I'm building, right? That like, yeah. you know, could uh, and take on specific operations that need to need to be executed. So yeah, specific pragmatic opportunities. Exactly. Uh, so you know, we, before we were like talking about breaks and stuff. Um, what are, you, are some tips you have to founders and builders for them to avoid burnout and to avoid you know that PTSD? I have no idea. No I didn't idea. avoid. It. I, right? like, I failed at that. I failed. Yeah. Like, I think on some level, um, if you can delay your capitulation moment as long as possible, right? Um, and this is bad advice. Like from a life perspective, this is not like I wouldn't say this is a healthy perspective, right? But this is just what I did, and it, it kind of worked ish, right? where I basically just deferred everything, ignored everything in my life, except for making sure this thing survived to a point where I was confident that it would and it had enough momentum, right? And it reached escape velocity. And then I was like, okay, let me figure my shit out. And I just took a step back and I was like, I need to figure this out, right? Um, mm. And you know, the irony of that is that like, so many people are like, how dare you? Like, how dare you not, you know, keep like, grinding yourself into the ground and doing this thing and it's like well you understand that i'm no longer paid right i i like i was never paid to do this i got tokens and i still have those tokens but like i'm not an indentured servant here like i you know i have like mm -hmm. i've got incentives to do stuff for sure and I, you know i i want to see synthetics be successful and you know my incentive alignment is stronger now than it's ever been right like bitcoin going up used to be like almost a separate thing for me or like ETH going up, right? It was like ETH and Bitcoin could go up and SX didn't have to go up and I kind of was okay. But 
in this last bear market, I basically had to sell all of my assets except for SNX. Like I've got some early stage illiquid stuff and then it's all SNX because to pay down the debt of last mm. cycle that grew. And you know, there's a whole bunch of things, right? Like the debt pool wrecks me pretty heavily, um, especially when we had wrappers. When the ETH price was falling and my debt was going up, that was a bad, bad time, right? And you know, when you have a lot of debt, a 10% movement is big deal. And then you look deal, at a bear yeah. market, like, you're like, wow, my debt got inflated by 10%, which didn't seem that bad, you know, at the start of 2021. You cut to the start of 2023, and 10% of the bull market, you know, number is a very big number when you're 80% down, right? And so <clears throat> I was kind of sitting there being like, holy shit, like, wow, I really didn't pay enough attention to that. So I'm in a situation where like ETH going up doesn't move the dial for me. Like mm. SNX revealed with it, right? And so for me, it was a bit surprising that people kind of had the audacity to question me taking some time off after five-ish years of, you know, really just single-minded focus on synthetics um, and try to, you know, sort my own shit out so I could come back and be... Be stronger than... Like, yeah. You know, where, yeah. I, where I'm... Yeah, so... And it, it's interesting because, like, when people take a step back... Are we supposed to decentralize? And so when, like, a leader steps back, it's kind of like... They're like, hey, what are you doing? It's just like, like guys, yeah. like, we're working towards me for me to be irrelevant at some point. And, you know, it, it there is an aspect in crypto of, like... It doesn't matter what you do, you're not going to win, right? Like if you if you listen to, there'll be some side of the argument, right? Like had I maintained, you know, a death grip on this thing the entire time, there would be people that would be still complaining about the fact that it's a dictatorship and, you know, like I don't care about what anyone thinks, I don't care about governance, you know, I'm, I'm only out for myself, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like that, that, you know, whereas the flip side is I decentralized and I handed over and genuinely let other people run it and create the right incentive structures that happen. And people were like, you lazy piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> people <laughs> just want to be mad at something. They just want to be mad it's at like, something. Oh, wow, it's cool. Thanks very much. You know, okay. Yeah. Um, I had well, one more question. Uh, kids, do you have any more questions? No, I'm good. No. Uh, I want to shift gears a bit towards because you are actually a early Frax investor. You're one of like one of the seeds, I believe. Um, and back in 2020 and back, you know, that it feels like stable coins that have gone through like multiple cycles. And if like DeFi is like, over here, stable coins, it's just like the dramaticism of that. It's just a whole different dimension. Um, so like, what are your thoughts of, you know, since it's the Frax broadcast, what are your thoughts of Frax's progress since its inception? Uh, you know, how do you think, how is it done? Like, what would you recommend for it? And do you see any synergies between Frax and synthetics in the future? So I think for me, Frax was kind of two things, right? Like as an investor, I'm very focused on the founder by right? Like, does this person seem credible? Does this person, you know, seem bought in like are they going to you know are they are they a tourist to use you know phrase or are they like legit like they, you know are they building an army basically right like you know are they a one-man army that's gonna you know build an army around them and be able to kind of fight this out um, um because it's like crypto's hectic right it's really hard um and you know startups are hard enough but crypto makes it even harder and so I guess my sense from Sam was like, absolutely. Like this is a guy that's going to go down with the ship, right? Like 
you know, and he'll blow up the ship if he has to, right? And I don't know what circumstances would require that, but like, it, you know, seemed like he's the type of guy that would do that. That's what, that's what why, right? So for me, that's always pretty bullish, right? And there's a lot of people in the space, I think, who um, kind of fit that bill where I'm like, this person's a little crazy, all right, in a good way. Um, and so there was there was that. And then I think the other thing was, like, I've always had a view that we need to keep kind of iterating on stablecoin designs, right? Um, that, you know, it would be weird if like, you know, BitShares was the kind of viral <laughs> design of stablecoin. <laughs> he was read, right? But like, you know, but like there were people who were like, no, 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 don't try this. We've got this. Like BitShares has solved the problem. USDT has solved the problem. Like we don't need any other stablecoins, right? And so for me, looking at a design that was like, kind of a weird mechanism design that I didn't know if it was a good idea or a bad idea, but it was novel. I was like, okay, like I'm willing to run with this experiment. Like, let's see. Right. Uh, and I think the final thing for me was it was a bit of a personal hedge, right? Because mm. being backed by USDC, at least partially backed by USDC, right. Um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of USDC, right? Like pragmatically, I think it's a good thing right and you have to and, you know this coming to my other thing that i'm working on like it's going to use usdc i'll i'll say that right uh one you know. uh, <laughs> i'm just kidding so and it, but it's going to use usdc on mainnet i'll be even more you know direct mm -hmm. right because that's the and you know what it's even going to use usdt right mm -hmm. and as the person who made the t-shirt tether is a crypto abomination right and you could find my article it is but also if you're pragmatic and you're like, the market's wrong. I'm not wrong. The market's wrong. Like at a certain point you have to do, like look in the mirror and be like, no, actually you're um, like, yeah. you know, people like, even if people are using USDT for the wrong reasons with bad incentives or whatever, like at some point you just need to accept that people are doing what they're going to do and you can't change the market. Right. Um, you, and, and you know what? Standing on the sidelines, shouting slogans at people, right is not going to change the game it's just not you need to get in the game and you need to like slowly shift their mindset right um and so for me it was like okay we did this you know you know we were pragmatic for like for you know 2018 ethereum of smart contracts we we were very pragmatic proxy contracts you know like weird governance structures you know um all of that stuff right like we we took a pragmatic approach but we were dogmatic in selling we're dogmatic and like no USDC, no USDT, no centralized stablecoins, no this. Like we're going to be purely decentralized, and that's worked out really well for us to a large. It's like even no die. Like we're so dogmatic <laughs> that we're like die is a piece of shit. We won't have that touching up protocol ever, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's pretty dogmatic, right? Because die is just a wrapper for USDC, and so it's like okay, cool. Well, how's that working out for you? okay but not as well as it could right so let's actually be pragmatic and let's go and find a way to use these things that people want to use without it necessarily being a part of the protocol and that is where i sort of see my role move forward it's like how do i bridge that gap how do i build something that is like a pragmatic approach that lets people do the things they want to do where they want to do them but still lets them use the protocol and not say you could only be involved in synthetics if you're willing to strap on an AK-47 to debt. 
no thought. Like you don't get two weeks to think about it. There's no opt out. You you know sign a contract in blood, and then we're setting you out on the field. Like that's what's happened. Right? It's cryptographically like, signed on chain. The contract. Yeah. I think like it's like sign your life away and go. And they're like, no, like what is going on here? That's insane, right? The fact that we felt anyone to do that is a testament to how insane people are crypto. The fact that in 2018, 2019, people were willing to start obey their life and run at something, you know, <laughs> we throw a gun at them and it's just like, go guys, and they're like, oh, I got nothing left to lose, I'm out, right? And so, you know, like the fact that those people even existed, like G and, you know, Nocturnal and some of those guys is kind of crazy, but we need to now like meet people where they live and we need to say, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. you're not ready to go to Arbitrum or Optimism or Polygon or whatever, you still got money and finance, Let's come and meet you where you live and let's make it easy for you to use these things. Leading that pragmatic push. Yeah. <laughs> Kane Warwick. Yeah. Uh, sweet. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a great note to uh, end at. And uh, at this point, we go through our lightning round now. So it's like a series of just like fun, you know, offhanded questions, um, you know, real quick. Uh, Kit, Get to so know the man behind it, the legend. Come back and close the frax loop, right? Yeah. I, and that is the oh, thing, yeah. right? I think. Frax was like this kind of pragmatic approach. And okay. for me, was, oh, yeah, yeah. Right. It was a bit of a hedge because it was like, well, if I'm being so dogmatic over here that like die is this untouchable thing, right? Well, then being an investor in something that is taking a different pragmatic approach uh, is a good thing for me. Yeah. Like, I really saw that. I was like, this is a mm. you know, person who seems credible. It's a novel design and it's a good hedge for my own insanity over here. Right. And I'm very happy with it. I think it's worked out yeah. as a good hedge. It's been a good hedge. How has it, what's it been like seeing like Frax and Sam's and how they acted in the space over the past two years? Um, three years, yeah. yeah. I think, you know, the the thing that you need to do as a founder as much as anything is be a spokesperson mm-hmm. for, for what you're doing, right? And I think that Sam does a good job of that. Like sometimes you need to be incendiary. Sometimes you need to be balanced. Sometimes mm-hmm. you need to be unhinged, right? Like, you need, you, need, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you need to have that, you need to strike that balance. And I, I think he does a good job. Uh, you know, I, I, I think he does a good job of being an advocate for frats. Um, and a lot of crazy shit has happened. Like any, <laughs> any project that's lasted this long, like crazy shit. <laughs> and, you yeah. gotta be able to and so from that perspective, I think, you know, as a seed investor, I'm pretty happy. I think that my, my faith that I had in his ability to kind of do what was needed has been pretty well born. Yeah. And do you see any synergies with uh, Frax and Synthetics in the future? Well, I think that Frax does some weird stuff, right? And so, you know, when you are doing weird experiments and stuff, and there's a new place to do experiments, um, there's obvious synergies. Um, now, whether that makes sense, because Frax has a level of scale, you know, that like Frax two years ago, whatever, three years ago, um, you know, uh, if synthetics v3 existed, could have been an experiment that was done on synthetics v3 invitation, right? Um, you know, it was done the hard way, and I think that that's cool. And I think what will likely happen in some of these markets is people will do something, and it'll be a market that kind of works, and then they'll be like, oh, wow, this has scale, and they'll spit it out, right? It'll be something that's spun out into its own protocols. Because uh, I think that there is, you know, controlling the full stack is still valuable, right? Like, I do worry about platform risk. So, anyway, that's, I think overall, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's pretty cool and I think it's done really well and I'm, I'm pretty happy. 
Same, no. same here. We no. try to be advocates as well. No. I honestly yeah. started calling myself a core advocate because I was like, what's my exact position at Frax? I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm more like advocating than contributing. So I guess yeah. we all are in a sense. Um, yep. But anyways, um, yeah, let's, let's move on to the lightning right. round. Uh, this is the fun part. Uh, yes. There we go. It's just for us to kind of get to know the the man behind the legend, you know, the the man behind the founder. And the first question we always like to start with is, what was your virgin crypto experience? And sexist doesn't count. Um, So the first thing that I tried to do in crypto was to run CG Miner on my home theater PC um, back in like 2012. And I was, to the best of my knowledge, unsuccessful. I couldn't get a run. <laughs> um, I had a really shitty home theater PC. It was like a, um, it was like an embedded board, uh, and it just the drivers just wouldn't take it, and so I never got it working. And so I think I abandoned it. Um, so that was it. It was it was a failure of running a Bitcoin mining. Maybe you have some like Bitcoin hidden on that home theater that you don't know. Well, I really, I actually went back and I found that old. I'm, I'm like a bit of a hoarder when it comes to old hard drives, and I went back and found that hard drive like four years ago. Um, and there's an installation of CG Miner, and like you can see that it never actually ran. Like, uh, right. I, oh, wow. actually, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but I mean, right. online in 2012. I don't know how much. I don't know how effective that would have been on a shitty mm. machine like that. I think yeah. it, you know, if I'd been in a mining pool, I don't even know if there were mining pools back then. Or there probably were, but um, but yeah, I don't think it wouldn't have been much Bitcoin. I mean, yeah, the block war was 50 BTC. If I got lucky, it'd be nice. Yeah. But- Synthetics was my first DeFi protocol that I used. I guess other than Uniswap. Yeah, but actually, no, it was Synthetics because I, yeah, it was Synthetics back in like DeFi summer 2020. I was like playing around and found you guys. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. Uh And the the second question is, what is your favorite off-chain touch grass activity? What are some uh, interests and hobbies of yours? Um, So I've been running a lot lately. Um, And so probably running and... I guess playing chess, I don't know if that counts as touch grass, yes. but um, I play over the board chess. <laughs> um, what's some advice you would give to your younger self? For, uh, no idea. No, no idea. advice. No advice. Just, just, just no, swing no advice. <laughs> <laughs> Strap on that AK-47 and head just in some in direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> okay. And then um, if you could do, if you weren't in crypto and weren't in in uh startups what would your professional career be well i wanted to be a tennis player but i wasn't good enough um so i think i think if i'd had like a little more sanity i i could have maybe made it as a tennis player i was i was pretty decent tennis player but um i didn't have the the brain for it unfortunately it's too unstable (laughs) too unstable (laughs) um last question uh who would you recommend as our next guest Oh, interesting. That's a good question. Um, I need to. I need to go on Twitter. This is the. This is the terrible lightning round. I need to go on Twitter and see who's doing. Who's doing weird stuff. Um, maybe. I guess you guys should probably have Aiden on for like a V four conversation, unless you've already oh, yeah. done that. Oh no, not yet. I mean, yeah, that's down. a bit of a. Bo- that's a bit of a boring answer. Um, I. I'll see if I can. I'll see if I can think of someone a bit more uh, out there. Yeah. I mean, there's always new characters popping up, and I think we do a pretty good job highlighting them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, on that note, 
Kane, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, really excited to see Synthetics V3 fully rolled out and whatever you're cooking up uh, that's pragmatic in the near future. Thanks, guys. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the post game. Thank you for sticking around. I'm your host, DeFi Dave, here with Capital K, coming off the interview with Kane Warwick, founder and now contributor to Synthetics. Uh, this was a long one, another deep cut for you. Very special. And uh, I think this is like the opposite of last week because last week Infinity Post was <laughs> super technical, you know, getting really deep into numbers and the intricacies and mechanisms. And Kit, that's your specialty. But with this one, it was more about, you know, the story, the arcs, the characters, the feelings. Um, Kit, initial thoughts. What did you think of this interview? What do you I think, Kane? I thought it was just the right type of interview because, you know, as Kane alluded to kind of midway through the interview is that like he's been pretty much hands off on the critical path across mm -hmm. all of the key products. And he's really looking at new frontiers, kind of pushing synthetics over there. So I felt like your angle of getting to know, you know, who he is, what's his character like and story. What his focuses, his stories and, you know, how he thinks about synthetics from the beginning as Haven all the way mm -hmm. to where it is now. I think, you know, that was a really, really good cut for the people to get to know some behind the scenes stuff, I would yeah. say. And I think the number one theme of this interview was pragmatism and the blind spots actually that, you know, Ethereum and dogmatic builders may have when constructing anything from protocols to like, you know, the, the chain itself and the consequences of having those blinders. So for example, like one of my favorite parts of this interview was when he was like, yeah, I think, uh, you know, Ethereum kind of fucked up this whole cycle. Like, you know, it got, you know, in my own words, I said it got too comfortable. And then you had all these alt ones come and like take, you know, mind share and market share. Yeah, I, I think he, one thing that was very intellectually honest was that he said we should have backed Polygon harder. I thought mm -hmm. that was very intellectually honest to say. Yeah, that's totally true. Like out of all the other, you know, alt L ones uh, alternatives, Polygon was like honestly the closest we can get to calling it an L two, right? Yeah, um, it was the most aligned before with, the L two yeah. can come. Exactly, it was the it most, was most aligned, aligned with their um, values. But you then had some people that were like too picky, like oh, it's like they're dishonest, like this and that. And what actually happened in the end is now they have like all these different like L2 experiments and whatnot and, you know, have actually been contributing to the Ethereum ecosystem. So, you know, but it, you know, we really like went down uh, memory lane here. Like, you know, when he was talking about like 2018, 2019, it was like, yeah, it was dark. Like literally like we only had six months of runway left. We mm -hmm. went from $30 million to six to millionaires to six months. And, you know. I think like one thing I took, like if you're like in the space, especially if you're a founder, if you've been around and been around for five years, like you have to be crazy. You have to be out of your mind. You have to be irrational to like have the conviction and the gall and the fortitude to survive like what it takes to make it in the space. Yeah. And I think your one question regarding is the when facing the quote, is it over moment? Like kind of what do you do? And I, I think Kane had had a, a pretty insightful way of looking at it where he's like, at, at that point in time, and you've really decided to kind of embark on this path, your conviction just simply needs to outweigh pretty much everything else. And mm -hmm. you kind of got to be a little bit crazy. And that got me to thinking how that is different from this bear market. Because last bear market was, is it, like, is it over? But this one, I feel like that question was never even surfaced. No. Like, nothing was existential. Like there was no existential 
like threat to 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 this bear. So I thought that was a clear evolution. But what's, what funny is we're more bullish now than we were in 2018, 2017. So I think that was a very clear um, evolution in the market participants. Because yeah. there were moments when I thought it was like, oh, me too. is it over? You know, me like hey, there, there are definitely moments back then, but none for this one. Now there are actual users, you know, there's competing protocols. Um, it's like really exciting stuff happening on chain before there was nothing on chain. There's probably like a few things, like you said, NFTs, like synthetics, like it's pretty cool what synthetics built with like what they had with V2, what they like stitched yeah. up together. And then with V3, basically they had to build from the ground up and realize like, oh shit, like we don't want to step on a live wire and the whole thing blows up. Yeah. And dude, you really got to comp like commend like founders like Kane and then all the OG DeFi founders who kind of stuck it through with the same project. Cause you know, you obviously work at, at a VC fund and I previously was, was with one and we know founders who just raised, failed and then quit the project and pivot to like a completely new thing and mm -hmm. raise money again and kind of like redo that. Or that, they make too much money game. too fast as you know, oh, as, yeah, yeah. You know, not that just too. the founders, but like, you know, people in the but, community, like, like I sure, think like sure. one, one shining moment of the interview was like, yeah, like when you get success or like, you know, get like a certain a level of, you know, made it, um, it kind of mm -hmm. warps your sense of reality. And I think that's true for everyone. Uh, and that's mm -hmm. what uh, I've also, he said that, and like, you saw that with like, so maybe you saw that with certain community members, um, you know, early ones and maybe it happened with DJ and Spartan. Cause like when he said DJ and Spartan was positive, some I'm like, no way. I'm like, did he, it, or when? like, when, since when? <laughs> but maybe he was, and maybe, you know, maybe it was interesting when he said like, yeah, he was like playing a character, but like, you got to wonder, did he like become, did the character become like him? Did he like become yeah, his yeah. character? You know, did it like take over like the persona? Right, or, did, right. or him, who knows, who knows? Um, but, um, so what are your biggest takeaways from this interview? I think when kind of designing a community, you don't just have the, hey, on the one hand, you got to strap on a helmet and here's your oh, AK yeah. and charge that way and die. On the other hand, it's like, fuck off. You know, I feel like mm -hmm. there needs to be a kind of a spectrum, like how with FXS, you could choose to VE yourself for one week all the way to four years. Like that kind of level of mm -hmm. um, flexibility in contribution and commitment I think is the proper evolution of a DeFi or rather any yeah. DAO. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'm just thinking about now? Um, one thing that I wasn't expecting his answer, because when I was going to this interview, I was, you know, with the multi-collateral question. Um, he was like, oh, we should just have SNX collateral. Like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I was thinking oh, like, oh, like you want like, I was like, in my head, it's like, oh, don't you want like, multi-collateral don't you want like other so you can like expand the system um but his argument was like you know you know as synthetics so like snx can still handle it and I, I get where he's coming from because like the more like snx is the only collateral the more value occurs to it and it kind of just makes it stronger over time and then like once you get to the point where you need other collateral um you know then you like get it to until you like can't do it anymore um i don't like why what are your thoughts on that do you do you agree with that? Do you disagree with that? I, I mean, let me pull in an example. It may not be the best example, but similarly to what Terra did, right? Terra did use its own collateral up until a moment where it's like, hey, maybe I should add in 
some other collateral. And one would say the moment they decided to add in other collateral was the chink in the armor. And that mm-hmm. was when everything started kind of crashing down hard because that was another vector of attack per se that, that, that people had on the system. So I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, 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 that's how I feel about the let's get, add the collateral later when we need it uh, rather than have it right now in the beginning. Um, Do you think adding it would be point, a risk? I think adding it, I think the way you add it, and because you know, he built in modularity, as he said, into the system. I thought that was the most cleverest thing to do, is that you could mm-hmm. add the collateral later if you choose to. But now I think, how do you implement that? Do you roll it out slowly? Do you have a cap on it? Do you, you know, like now all of these, like how, how questions kind of prop up around the best practices? Who sets those press best practices? Is it the Spartan Council or is it another council? Like, mm-hmm. so it adds all these how layers to it, in my opinion. Um yeah, interesting to see. And, you know, this was a fun interview. It was great to hear his perspective and thoughts and like him going in on things and how he felt about things and how the evolution of it's like community and Ethereum in general uh, came along. Um, and yeah, this was a lot of fun. This is like, I think one of our biggest guests we've had on since the yeah. inception. Yeah. An OG. So, an OG yeah, an OG. Sure. Like, Kane, thank you so much for coming on. And if you want to, you know, keep up with all the guests we have on in the, in the future, make sure you hit that bell button, give us a like, subscribe to our YouTube, leave us a comment, let us know if you think, love us or hate us, we want to know. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter at FlywheelDefi. Join our Telegram group at FlywheelDefi. You can follow me on Twitter at DefiDave22. You can follow me at 0x capital underscore K. And we will see you next week. Peace. Peace. Everything said on this episode is not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly for educational purposes and is not an investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice whatsoever. Please talk to your accountant and do your own research.